Welcome, everybody, to one edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and joined by, of course, as always, the voice, la voz of the Houston Texans, Mark Vandermeer. Mark, good afternoon. Happy Father's Day, a day uh, late. Happy Juneteenth, all of that. How are you doing? Johnny, I'm doing great. I watched the U.S. Open. It was one of the better ones I've seen in a while. It was great to see some good sports action out of season, you know, with the NBA finals out of the way. Astros still going, of course, still going. It's still the early going. You know, he's still in the front half of the season with the Houston Astros. And, you know, it's been great to see some of their successes. I know people freak out about the losses early, early. Tombstone happened around now, didn't it? I think so. Yeah. It was 31 and 15. So I think it was a little bit later. Mm. Oh, well, not, not, it could have been 31 and 15. I could have been the, the opposite. I think it was the other way around. Yeah, Tombstone. For I those, used to know all those numbers. Yeah, for those Houstonians, I think this would be a good show at some point to kind of explain when someone says, oh, yeah, that was Clutch City. That was that was Choke City. That was this. If you're new to Houston, which there are a lot of people that are new to Houston and they have you know, become Astros, Rockets, Texans fans, and they're like, wait, what do you mean Tombstone? What does that what does that yeah. relate to? When you say Hasselback in a diaper, what does that relate to? These games or situations that have names. You know, love you blue. Okay, well you can mm -hmm. explain that one. Buffalo. Yo, yo oh, <laughs> Buffalo. Yeah. Um, twenty four to nothing, which apparently I thought meant one thing. <laughs> The other day. No, you were right. It, it sounds like it meant something. Unfortunately, different to you. we had two twenty-four to nothings in the history of this franchise. Yeah, one I felt like stung a lot. I I still I still feel like twenty-four to nothing in Kansas City was not not the not the low point, but it was it was organization shaking. Oh, absolutely. And and what. What happened from it? And I remember going off the field that How many day. wins do you have since then? At eight? Yes. It was franchise-shaking. Yeah. I'm, and I remember walking off the field that day, and I, I don't – I remember going – I remember at halftime of that game seeing DeAndre go into the x-ray room, and I just remember thinking, oh, no. That's not a good sign. And then we went out, and the second half is just – and then the Chiefs are posting – We've run out of fireworks, and I'm like, uh, it, it was just such a gut punch. I just remember walking off the field that day with this awful feeling. Not like, okay, COVID's going to happen or something like that. I just had this kind of weird feeling like things are not going to be the same after this. Mm. This, one's, this mm. one's leaving an indelible mark for whatever reason. As we were flying home, I felt the same thing. I yeah. just kind of felt like things will change. I don't know what. I don't know how. But things are going to change in a in a pretty significant manner for better or worse. But things are going to change. I just felt like I had this weird feeling going off the field that day. And, and they did change. They did change. And yeah. you know what? It's only two and a half years ago that that occurred. And so much has changed. And good thing that as we sit here now, yeah. you've gone through, I don't want to say the hardest part of it, but in many ways you have, right? right? The The real bottom of it. And now you're on the way up. Yeah. You've, you've hit bottom at some point, you know, whatever you want to declare that, whatever right. date you want to assign bottom to, but it's behind us now. Right. And you're on the way back up, which yeah. is great because now here we go up. Right. And that's what you want to see and how high it goes. We want it to go all the way, but yeah. how long that takes, we don't know. We're here for the ride. That's all going to be fun. I think that would be a fun show at some point for those people that when they hear kiss of death, 
like kiss of death mm-hmm. was was it oh that, well that was a good one that was a, yeah. that was a rockets that was mario ellie but i think you know all mike scott you know when you when you got here in in 2000 when did you exactly get here 2002 2002 like in 2002 or yes okay so February when you got 2002, here i started in april 2002 officially that's so when i moved here so how long did it take to kind of get indoctrinated into all those different Johnny, things i like, did a deep dive instantly i knew you did into houston sports history i knew that i had to look i had just gotten to miami right and i was there for only three years and i knew to dive deep into their history but Houston sports history, you know, the, the big things you know about, you know about the Rockets, 94, 95, you know about Buffalo, you know about some of these things. And obviously, you know about Fislam and Jamma and Valvano and all that. Yeah. But what you didn't know, what I didn't know, was Guy V. Lewis going to five Final Fours. Yeah. And I'm a college hoops guy. Right. And that was largely off the radar of many East Coast college hoopians. Yep. And it shouldn't have been. And thankfully, now he's in the Hall of Fame and it took long enough. But he should have been in a long time ago because he's that good. So, you know, things like that, I just studied it hard because I was doing a talk show from 9 to 11 right after John and Lance. I was doing 9 to 11 by myself, new guy in a new market. The good thing is I was born into the market with the Texans, so we were all starting off together in a way, and I talked to a lot of Texans and what's this going to be like and what's that going to be like, but I always – you know, gave credit to the fans and said, you guys tell me, how important is this? How important is that as far as the Houston sports history side of it goes? And being at KILT Sports Radio 610, I say KILT because that's how the station was known when 610 AM had the Beatles here and did reports on UH and uh, UCLA at the Astrodome and all the history involved there. They still had all those very well archived. Uh, Learning about it from that side really helped me out as well. I remember being mad going back to your guy v lewis there's a trivia pursuit question yeah so you play trivia pursuit which i'm sure is no surprise but there was a question which it was wrong it literally was wrong it it said what two teams was it two teams i think it was what two teams played in back-to-back final fours in the 1980s and the answer that they had was georgetown and uh, and North Carolina because North Carolina played 81 82 and then Georgetown had played in 84 85 and they didn't and they didn't even include Houston and Houston had gone to 3 and it took me forever to realize oh they actually they're actually not wrong because it, Houston didn't go to 2 they had gone to 3 in a row but I was mad for the longest time so I was like, Houston actually did go to two in a row. Yeah. They just also went to three in a no row. No respect. So there was always that kind of kind of no respect thought in in, in some regards as it pertained uh, to the city of Houston. But I think it's uh, you know as you and you never know when you when you move here, especially when you think about why you move here. A lot of people move here for oil and gas, and those people, how long do those people stay in here in Houston? I mean, I think about where my daughter went to school. I mean, she was having to come up with a new best friend every two, three years because they were coming in for two years and then going back to a different country, whatever. But, you know, if you're going to be here for a while, learn learn the history. We'll learn you along the way, too, because there are some there are some that stick around, and there are some good ones, too. Um, there are some that we don't like to talk about because of the people that perform them, like the one against Buffalo. Uh, but we still uh, talk about that and give you a history of Houston. All right, Mark, one of my favorite things to do is either or. Okay. I love I love either or, and so I've kind of – you mentioned something earlier that uh, you don't even remember saying it, but it mm. got me thinking about something. And so 
it got me thinking about either or, and then a few that are kind of off the beaten path because of something you talked about whether I watched the U.S. Open or not. Yes, and I did because I was watching something else. We'll get to that a little bit later. But these either USFL. No, I, oh. well, you know what? I did take in the USFL, <laughs> and I go back to my thought. There's, it was Birmingham and, gosh, I can't remember who Birmingham was playing. Birmingham was playing the Bandits, Tampa Bay Bandits. Okay. And it was three and out, punt, three and out, punt, three and out. I'm like, I'm done. Yeah, I mean, e- even me, I mean, I, I can't stand a Big 12 game, like Big 12 games when there was no defense. It was 71-63, like, like West Virginia, Baylor. Like, no, I can't stand that. It's got to be a happy median. I, I watched three straight three and outs. I'm like, I'm done. Forget this. And they're recognizable names, even to me, or you should say even to anybody out there. But there are some where you go, oh, I remember that guy. I remember that guy. And I just couldn't. It's like three now. Are the rules too tight? What's going on? I don't Why know. can't they execute offense? I don't know. I'll tell you this though. I flipped it over to CFL. Oh yeah, that's nice. I watched. Um, was it, it was the end of uh, the Argos and the Alouettes. So it was uh, Toronto Argonauts and the Montreal Alouettes, and I was dialed in. I was yeah. dialed in the whole way, whole way down, and the Alouettes get a final drive, and get it within field goal range. They're down by two. Guy pushes it wide left, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> that hurts. And then yesterday was Saskatchewan and the Edmonton Elks, and it was fun. I mean, yeah. it's it's fun. You have to kind of familiarize yourself with the rules. And I remember at one point, I saw second and seven, and I saw them hand off, and I was like, oh, second down. Oh no, it's like third down. Like, would you hand off at third and seven? And the guy ran for 12 yards. So. Well, uh, they had a look they liked, and the field's yeah, wide. You're absolutely. spreading everybody out. Absolutely. Guys are moving all over the place. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to figure out. If you just turn it on, and it's on, and there's a play about to start, trying to figure out which one's offense and defense for a second is like, wait a second. Because you see guys backed off so the line much. of scrimmage. You see guys moving. <laughs> They're guys moving towards the line of scrimmage. Everybody's yeah. moving like, wait, pause. Which yeah. one's offense? And so trying to figure all that out. But I watched the CFL game. Like, I I love it. I love well, watching. It's just it's exciting. In in the thing I wonder about USFL versus you know versus CFL, there are probably fewer names you know over in the CFL. But the game's unique and different enough that okay, I'll watch it. I'll watch. And then of course that game got competitive with the Alouettes and Argonauts, and so I was going to watch that. It's an established league. It's been around forever. Yeah. And I know some of the things and names have changed. Right. Some of the elements have changed of it. And look, it's not the NFL. But there's sort of this northern exotic right. feel to it. You know, I know Andre loves it as well. He spent some time up there. Yep. Danny Barrett, our running backs coach here, quarterbacked in the CFL. Yep. We talk about it from time to time. And Anthony O'Claire, you and I had another recent conversation with him that we'll be hearing soon enough about CFL-style football because he played college football in Canada, yeah. CFL-style. Yeah. That's- and the the three downs always gets me, and the motion always gets me. I'm like, receivers, no running head start. Just If they just stopped that, but they're not going to do it. If they just stopped that, it would be more watchable for the American audience, I think. So here's one. That, here's a rule that they came up with that I, I thought was really interesting. So one of the teams, Argos Alouettes, one of them punted the ball out of bounds. And I hear the announcers go, oh, that's going to be a flag. I was like, wait, what? So they put in a new rule this year that you cannot punt the ball out of bounds unless it's inside the 15-yard line, inside the 15-yard line. 
So if the ball the ball flies out of bounds, it's a 10-yard penalty. Oh, that's pretty big. If you kick it out of bounds, as if, you know, say you've got, you know, Devin Hester back there, mm-hmm. you've got, you know, Tremont, uh, you know, Tremont Smith or Desmond King back there, and you're scared about what they can do. So a lot of teams say, yeah, we'll just kick that thing out. We'll just angle it out of bounds. And CFL said, nope, unless that thing is inside the 15-yard line, that's a 10-yard penalty. That's massive. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you shank it, you shank one, which is a lot of times what ends up happening when you kick it out of bounds. You shank one, so you get you get double a penalty because you shanked it, A, and then, B, there's a 10-yard penalty going the other way. And I was like, wow. And so the ball ended up going out of bounds like the 23-yard line or so. And they gave him 10 yards and moved out to the 33. I'm like, man, that's a pretty interesting rule. They also have that rouge, right? Yeah. That punt. What is it? A if you down the punt or catch the punt in the end zone or something, if your team catches the punt, I'm, the, yeah, something like that. I remember there used to be a long time ago, if your punter ended up getting the football mm-hmm. in some way, shape, or form, like you just let it go, and the punter went down there and got the ball, you got the ball right where that punter covered it. Now that might have been a that was a that might have been a long time. That's going to be difficult to achieve. I I would think that's terribly difficult. The end to zone achieve. is the size of Rhode Island as well. Oh, so. So the the Elks, the Elks are struggling moving the ball, but they they get it they they punt to Saskatchewan, and the and the Riders as they call them the Riders run it back and the ball gets stripped and so they get the ball like the twenty five so they get a, they get a couple of first downs and they're now like inside the five yard line, and so they run a bootleg and the defensive man reads it perfectly and so the quarterback's just got to launch it and I mean he launches it they're at the they're at the five yard line. And this ball's in the air. It's got to be forever. And one of the Elks players makes a catch, gets both feet in bounds. And I'm like, man, he threw that a long way. Then you realize, oh, yeah, that's a 20-yard 20, 20 end zone. He threw it the back at 20 yards, and the guy just went and ran and got it, made a heck of a catch. And I thought, man, these 20-yard end zones. What if you had those in the NFL? Oh, forget it. The 20 scores yard would be in the, in the 70s. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It uh, Crazy. But that's what he did. He literally just threw it. Instead of throwing it away, he was like, I'm throwing it to a spot and giving my guy a chance, and the guy ended up making it. I mean, that would have been 10, 10 yards out of bounds in, a, in the NFL game where you were just throwing it away in an NFL game more than likely. But this guy, he just threw it back in the end zone. Guy went up, made a catch, doop, doop, got both feet in. I thought, man, 20-yard end zones in the NFL would be outstanding. I'm wondering what happens. Those would be fun. USFL next year, um, I'm wondering what happens. I talked to Wade Phillips at the John McClain event last yeah, yeah. week. He's coaching in the XFL right. for the Houston franchise. And I said, do you know if the XFL or the USFL teams are going to move to their home markets? Yeah, home and he base, said yeah. that's his belief uh, because he's in contact with a bunch of yeah. those coaches, too. They all know each other. Uh, but some of the cities will change. Some of the cities will change. Some of the markets aren't viable. Yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. And I think. I'm pretty well aware of one, but I don't want to say it on the air right yeah. now. And it's not Houston that I heard about. Right. It was another one. Uh, but it makes sense. You know, yeah, you want to get these things in viable markets for their teams. Because yeah, you mean, don't need a big crowd. The USFL was founded on, hey, 20,000 people. Good. Right. Let's just go with but that. Especially have... this version of the league where their payroll is pretty low. And relatively. Birmingham's 8-1. and one. So Birmingham's pretty, doing pretty well. So when Stadium's played, there's a decent crowd in there. Yeah. So you think, okay, well, let's, well, you move this thing out. 
and you move it to Houston, and I mean, look, the Roughnecks ended up getting a pretty decent crowd, and I was a good, it was a good team and a good product. But so. now, like, can the Gamblers move to Houston with the Roughnecks here, or whatever the XFL franchise that is called know. that Wade coaches? Because I don't know if they're the Roughnecks. I have no idea. And yeah, the Roughnecks did have a nice little atmosphere at U of H, but is that going to be enough to for sustainability? I don't know. There's a lot of different questions to answer. TV deals, the USFL when it came out this time. Uh, controlled by TV, Fox was really good for the league, at least on paper, and we'll see what they feel about it now. I think people are watching, but, Johnny, honestly, I haven't really watched too much of it yeah. at all. Every, every time I turn it on, I just see empty seats. It reminds me of COVID, and it's yeah. depressing. That, that's a good point. There haven't been a lot of cr- – now, when Birmingham does play, there are there are fans in the stands. Yeah. It feels like people in Birmingham sort of – and especially the team being good, too, with a good record, they're kind of – they're kind of, you know – Grabbing on, if you will, to to the Stallions, but you just gave me an idea. You had, you had AFL, NFL, and met, met the Super Bowl. You could have USFL, XFL, and they could meet in their own version of the Super Bowl. Maybe that's not a bad idea for them, but maybe it is, and maybe they could explain it to us. Also, did you like the fact that the two worst teams, the winner gets change, the number one overall pick. They changed the rule. Yeah, I love that. I, I think it's fantastic. It's a new league. Do whatever you want. Make it good week to week. Yeah, this week, you're not allowed to go for three. I think it's fantastic. You, the um, the USFL did a little bit of that. I mean, maybe not rules on the field per se, but when it came to getting players, and the AFL was the same way a long time ago when it came to getting players. And I love the, the story Jim Kelly told when he was – he was in the room with the Buffalo Bills after they drafted him in 83. And uh, who's George Allen? So Bruce Allen was with the, the Chicago Blitz. Right. And he called in and told the secretary he was somebody that was related to an agent of somebody. And that got Jim Kelly out of the room to take the phone call. So Kelly takes the phone call and says, look, don't sign. Listen to what we have to say. We'll let you pick your destination, basically, but we need you over in the league, over in the USFL. And so um, they got him out of the room. He doesn't sign with the Bills. He goes and he talks to the USFL, to various people, and he's the one who picked Houston. Jim Kelly actually picked Houston. That's awesome. And it wasn't, you know, they just changed it. Like, we just need players. We just got to have them. So where would you like to play? All right, well, you can get me to Houston. I'll come. And he did. And that's how we ended up. That's how we, and they just sort of changed that all along the way. And the AFL kind of did the same thing. Can you imagine the NFL doing something like that? And established leagues don't have to do that, but that's how they were having to do things way back when. And it sounds like they're doing that now. But the AFL did a bunch of stuff. What if similarly? What if on the Saturday before the Super Bowl, you played teams that were one and two in the NFL, and they played for that number one spot? What about oh. that? So you play the Jaguars so the and Jaguars the Lions. So the Jaguars and the Lions would have played, maybe not in the Super Bowl setup, right? but they would have played somewhere, maybe lo- you know, maybe it's locally, I guess because you'd probably want to have the Super Bowl media and all that kind of stuff there. On Saturday night, they play, I don't want to call it the toilet bowl, but they play the battle for number one. And whoever wins gets the number one pick. I mean, I don't know if the Lions would want it. I don't know. Right. But, I don't know, it could have some legs. I mean, that's what the USFL is doing. I'm just digesting this. I'm digesting this. I love more football, and I love it that tanking doesn't help. Right. So, if you're one or two, you're going to play for the number one overall pick. The winner gets it the night before the Super Bowl. Mm. 
How about the weekend before the okay. Super Bowl? And we play it at the Super Bowl site. And it's the hors d'oeuvre to the week because you have no more Pro Bowl yep. in a lot of people's minds. Yep. You're not going to do that anymore. You have Senior Bowl on Saturday, festival. but I think you could kind of squeeze them both in. The Senior Bowl's there, though. And the Senior – look, when they did the Pro Bowl, for instance, in Arizona, that's the one Pro Bowl I've seen the week before. Is it the only one? Yeah. Uh, the one in Arizona. Yeah. And Jay McDevitt and I covered that. Mm-hmm. And we went out there for the week, and J.J. was there, and he got J.J. kicking a field goal. Oh, practice. yeah, 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 yeah. I remember yeah. when he captured that on video. It was like, I, I, I just, J.J. kicking a field goal. You like, you couldn't get it. Get it up on <laughs> social now. <laughs> you couldn't get it up there fast enough. It's like, <laughs> break the internet. Better than a Kardashian moment. J.J. <laughs> kicking a field goal at practice. I could just see Jay with the SD card just running. Oh, I my God. Get it up <laughs> now. It was, it was great. <laughs> Uh, but that Pro Bowl had a lot of juice to it, mm-hmm. at least the pregame and even parts of the game because they were in front of an NFL crowd in Arizona, yeah, yeah. and it had this big feel to it right. as opposed to some of those things I've seen in Honolulu lately. Lately, Well, when they did it last, like in 2013, 2014. So, yeah, I think that's not a bad idea, Johnny. Yeah, I'll run it by Goodell for you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right, I'm going to run by some either or for you next right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to this Monday edition of Texans All Access. John Harris here, Mark Vandermeer there. Mark, we're going to do some either or in just a second. But I'm going to ask you this question knowing how much you and I both love sports and love sports of all kinds. Okay. I don't even know if this is considered a sport. What is the wildest, most insane sport you have ever seen? whether it's a professional sport or not, I mean, I, I don't care. Just the wildest thing you have ever seen that considers itself a sport. You know that, uh, what was the energy drink sponsor drop from outer space? That's not really a sport. That's a stunt. That right. was more evil Knievel-ish. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, you see things like that. Yeah. Even for fans, if you will, whoever does the running of the bulls in oh. Pamplona, <laughs> They're absolutely nuts. Insanity. And that's not even professional athletes, right? That's just people who feel like they want to run in front of some bulls and take their shot at greatness. Yeah. Uh, I can't really think of stuff offhand. I mean, okay, so rollerball. Oh, that was fictional. Okay, so let me ask you this one. Because I know on social media I've seen this a bunch. Have you seen these slapping contests? Sports Radio 610 did one of these back in the yeah, day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Before your time yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. We actually did one over at my radio station as oh. a result of that. Oh, it's, okay. It's like they carried that. on the tradition. Yes. It was Chance and his brother Taylor slapping each other. Yeah, yeah. And it was insane. It was. Uh, it's, like, they were yeah. really going at it. And yeah. if you slap somebody and get them in the, in the jawbone, right. you know, you get them a little too high cheek jawbone area, that's as good as a punch. Yeah. So I have seen some lately. Where these dudes look like arm wrestlers. And they're slapping and each other. And they're slapping each other. And it's like that. It's so like what's a the punch. whole idea? To survive or what? Yeah, I think so. Whoever taps out Whoever first. Whoever taps out first. I, I, I think. All right, so now it's a fight. Okay, but wait. I saw this on social media today. And it's along the lines of that slap fest, slap contest. Mm-hmm. Except these guys are wearing like metal knight hats. <laughs> And they have 
a pan. They have a cast iron pan, and they're hitting with like a, an eleven inch handle. It looks like, and they are just taking turns <laughs> whacking each other on the side of the head. And the loser is the first one that falls off the the platform it's or whatever an, they're sitting on. You're gonna get a concussion. It's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. In my it's life. like a Monty Python skit. It is. They're, it's called pan slapping. And they're literally taking this cast iron pan up the side of each other's heads. And finally, this guy, finally, it's on maybe like the third or fourth one. This guy falls off. He just kind of, eh, you can just tell he's passed out. Sure. And the other guy just takes the pan and he's like holding it over his head like, it's, yeah, I got him. Uh, society needs to step in. the thing I've it's, ever seen. Yeah. I mean, in... Sanity. All right. What's not insanity or some either or? So, Mark, I'm going to start with either or for you. Okay. More impactful. Now, the first couple of these are with guys that are, well, three of the guys are playing for different teams. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to start with the one where one guy is playing for the same team. Another guy is new. More impactful in 2022. Matt Ryan or Ryan Tannehill? Ooh. Uh Look, I think Matt Ryan's going to play well. I don't know if he'll be any more impactful than Carson Wentz was at his best last year. Yeah. I want to be clear about that. Yeah. At his best. Right. At his worst, you'd hope Ryan's better. But would anybody be stunned if the Colts go 9-8? and eight? No. I because Ryan can't really get you over the hump the way you'd want him right. to. And Taylor might miss a game or two or three because of this, that, or the other thing. And they just play solid, but not quite well enough. They're playing a tough schedule, too. Well, they play the NFC East like the Texans do, but they play the AFC West like the Texans do. And the Colts are going to command and demand a lot of attention from their opponents. They're going to get everybody's best game, so to right. speak. So I'm thinking aloud here. I would say that, uh, but who's going to make a b bigger impact? Yeah. Tannehill needs to. Right. But will he? I'll say Ryan. I'll okay. say Ryan. With because I just Ryan, think. Wait, whoa, whoa. Matt Ryan or Ryan Tannehill? I said Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I will surely be right. All right. No, Matt Ryan. Okay. Because Ryan Tannehill. Here's the thing about Ryan Tannehill. What does the Malik Willis acquisition do to him? Does it motivate him? And he takes his game to an even higher level, a better level. Does he maintain his overall pretty decent level of play since he's been there? except for a few games here and there, does it backslide a little bit? I'm going to gamble that it's not going to go as well for him yep. and them. Now, if Derrick Henry stays healthy the whole way through, that's obviously going to help them. But that has to happen. Willis is going to flash in the preseason. Yes. There's going to be some, I don't want to call it a controversy, but there will be whispers and questions from the media talk like that. Yeah. I think Vrabel will handle that well, but I just look at the Matt Ryan situation with the Colts a lot more peacefully for them mm -hmm. than I think the situation that quarterback is for the Tennessee Titans right now. Okay. I'm going to change this next one up because okay. I, I actually had been thinking about this the other day because I was going to ask you more impactful two receivers that got traded this offseason, but then I thought about where they went. Mm -hmm. So more impactful the Dolphins wide receiver trio of Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill, and tight end Mike Kosicki. Okay. Or the Raiders trio of Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, who just signed a new contract, and Darren Waller. 
and we got to face both of them. Yeah, I'm going to go on with, the road. I'm going to go with the Raiders. I know that Waddle's really good, and I think Hill. I heard Hill talking about. Look, I'm not just a deep ball guy. Right. I can run the intermediate routes, right. the short routes. You know, I'm a route runner. Right. And I can do this. And I love how what he said regarding Tua and accuracy became a whole Tua Mahomes talking point. Yeah, exactly. Like, I turn on Sirius XM NFL radio, and they'll put the talking point yeah, yeah, yeah. on the screen on your interface. Tua versus Mahomes. Yeah, I saw that a lot. Like, forget it. Over a five-day period, and yeah. I thought, people are just milking this to death. And yeah. it just looks ridiculous to see it on a screen. Like, yeah. really? Yeah. Tua versus Mahomes? But Tyreek Hill brought it up. So I'm going to say this. The Raiders. Renfro has already proven to be very effective. Derek Carr now has Devontae Adams to work with, and they clearly already have chemistry off sure. the field and in college. And, look, the tight end is just so good with the Raiders as well. I think he's wow, better than yeah. Kosicki. So, yeah, uh, I think so. I'm going to say that uh, the Raiders trio will be more impactful. They'll make more of a difference for that franchise and than whatever the, happens down in Miami. And to your point, one has two a quarterback right now, and I think the jury's still out. One has Derek Carr. And for all the people that are like, oh, Derek Carr, like, Derek Carr's been pretty on good in his career. You know, he's a leading passer in Raider history, and he was going into last year, maybe going into the year before. Yeah. Now, I don't know what that says about the Raiders' quarterbacking history, but Mark Wilson, MVP Rich Gannon. but Stabler, LaMonica. Yeah, I mean, you're right. going But way those back. guys didn't throw for a lot of yards. No, but they you know, also Rules. played 14 games, too. Yeah, 14 games, then 16, but rules, yardage differential. Yeah. Go look at Troy Aikman's yardage. It's right. not impressive. It's not impressive from the Super Bowl years. It just isn't. It doesn't hold up over time. But that's okay because it was a different era. I'm sensing a Steph Curry-Larry Bird debate again okay, between my man go. and Tyler Sudarth. If Larry Bird had played <laughs> in this era where three-point shots were much more regular and accepted, what would Larry Bird have done? That said, Steph Curry's the best shooter of all time. Okay. This one's pretty easy. More impactful, Derrick Henry or Jonathan Taylor? Guys, we see twice a year, if healthy, if healthy. We did not see Henry at all last year. Thank God. Uh, we did see Jonathan Taylor twice a year. Henry's he was, more impactful. <laughs> Come on. Henry is a one-man wrecking crew on offense. He will wreck your defense. Mm. He will wreck your soul. And Taylor, as great as he is, it stinks that you have two of the best running backs in the league right in your division. But we talked about this last week. It's interesting how you don't really fear any of the quarterbacks in your division. Right, right. The way you fear, and I hate to use that word, but fear, concern, respect, oh, it's, whatever. It's that kind true. of fear, like biblical fear. Uh, you don't fear the quarterbacks the way you do the running backs. Right. You have two elite running backs. You don't have any elite quarterbacks in your division. Right. Absolutely. It's interesting that way. Yeah. And – I mean, depending on how depending on how you look at it, I think. Gosh, I'm gonna say this, so it's probably come back to bite me in the backside. But other than Brandon Cooks, I don't know that you have a marquee wide receiver in the division either. Well, who declared Robert Woods? That there was some. Yeah, I think it was CBS, NFL, and CBS or CBS Sports put the out top receivers in the division. Right, they put out who's the top receiver in the AFC South, and they had Pittman, Woods. Um, I can't remember who they put for Jacksonville. I, oh, they put Mar. I think they put Marvin Jones, and then they put uh, Cooks. Jones is really good. Yeah, Cooks is the best receiver of that bunch. Yes, by far. Right, by far. But there were a lot of people that just automatically went straight to Robert Woods. And I mean, I'll give you the fact that Robert Woods has been effective, and he's been very good. He's been very good as a as a number two wherever he's been. 
A, he's never been a number one, and B, he's coming off an injury, an ACL from last yeah. year, and I think he's pushing 30 if I if I recall, but I don't trust me on that map. But either way, those are all three things that I wouldn't say work for a guy being a number one. And he's playing for a new team and for a quarterback that's not Matt Stafford. They're not going to give the Texans any respect. No. No, even not. on that. So the point being, you're facing quarterbacks that are like, eh. You face wide receivers that are kind of the same way. You could have some that could break out. Like, could I see Alec Pierce be a guy that's dangerous down the field? And, look, I think Pittman's good. I think Pittman's very, very good. But do you fear him? Do you no, you have to him? contain him. No. He's part of the mix there, okay? Yeah. You didn't fear Jack Doyle either, but he no. ended up making plays for them. Right. Although we would always discuss Jack Doyle when a Colts matchup was coming up with yeah. Houston Texans. It's always. It's yeah. like Yannick Ngakwe. Right. And we got to face Yannick Ngakwe at some uh, point. Okay. Either or. And I think, I think you've called both of these. Mm-hmm. I think. College World Series. Yes. Or NCAA basketball tournament. Oh, my gosh. It's not even a contest. Really? It's the NCAA basketball tournament. Really? Yeah, and I called the College World Series at Rosenblatt Stadium when they yeah. still had Rosenblatt Stadium. Right. And we were there in 2001. The Hurricanes won it. Swept their way through it. The format was different. You had one championship yeah, 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 game yeah, yeah. then on that Saturday. Yep, yep. They went 4-0. and We were there for 10 days. It was really weird, like, living there for 10 days. Co- Why was Kevin Costner there? Did he have a kid or a stepkid playing in it? Or- I don't know. Costner was there at our hotel. I just remember that because I was I'm watching Yellowstone recently, and I yeah, thought, yeah. I've seen him up close, you know, just having breakfast Stuff like that. I don't know why that came into my brain right there. Yeah. But we ate a lot of steak. I ate so much steak on that trip <laughs> in Omaha. It is in Omaha. Went yeah. running every day. The weather was beautiful. Yeah. Uh, the scene is great. Nebraska was in that CWS. Yeah. And what was cool that about changes that everything. was the first time they were ever in it. Right. And it's in Omaha. Yeah. The fans were amazing. The tailgating. Every time Nebraska would have like a sacrifice fly, it sounded like touchdown in Lincoln. Yeah. It was really cool. And it's a great event. I'm not taking anything away from it, but there's nothing like the NCAA tournament except for every NFL Sunday. Yeah. That's how I feel. No, that's very true. But the NCAA tournament is far superior to the College World Series. College World Series is fun, though, but it's college baseball. Plink, yeah, aluminum bat. I like that, though. No. I've always liked the aluminum bat. Plank, I like the aluminum bat sound. Johnny, I've ev- always liked it. Talk to any announcer who does college baseball. They'll tell you. Every count goes to three and two. This is what it feels like. Yeah. Every count goes to three and two. Every game is five hours. Uh, it <laughs> that's, just it that's, feels endless. Okay. Now it's coming to the <laughs> forefront what really is the situation, and that is the length of the game. Now, that's true. The NCAA basketball tournament, once you figure out the whole media timeout at 4, 8, 12, 16, once you figure it, or, or in reverse, I guess, as the clock is counted down, once you figure that out, and the game, the game could fly. It can it can absolutely fly, and you can watch a couple of games outside of Omaha. I can get a little steamy because I've thought about that watching, but just watching the the College World Series, and and I watched a lot of the the supers and the regionals and such, and I don't know. There's something about the College World Series that always I've always gravitated towards, and I, I mean, there's part of me that I'm mean, a big part of me that wants. I'm going to be honest it, right now, but the College World Series is amazing. I'm going to be honest about this. I had a great time in Omaha, and they won the national championship. And I got to call it. Yeah. I've had more fun doing regionals. I've had more fun doing regionals with UMass, 
Uh, Central Michigan. Yeah. Central Michigan won a Mid-American Conference championship with a Grand Slam. I got to call that. Yeah. UMass beat South Florida and Central Florida to get to the final against Florida in Gainesville when oh, I was wow. there. And we beat them. It was seven hours on the air. They had to go back to back because they were playing through the losers bracket. Some of the baseball games. Oh, my gosh. But it was thrilling. They won the last one in dramatic fashion. I can't remember all the particulars, but it was and we were so burnt out. We went to an IHOP after that or something, you know, the only thing we could find open. And then the next day we're up again. I don't think the guys had time to wash the uniforms. You know, there they were the next day in the final. They got smoked by Florida and couldn't get to the CWS or the Super, whatever they had at the yeah, time, because yeah. the regionals have changed over time. But I I loved that more yeah. than I actually loved being at the College World Series. I love that I've been there and got yeah. to do it, yeah. but those things were fun. Especially at Rosenblatt. Okay, last one. You can win a golf major, either the U.S. Open oh, or the PGA. Good. Oh, you didn't give me the Brits. Nope. Mm. I'm keeping you, I'm gonna, on, I'm keeping you Johnny, on the it's land here. It's definitely the U.S. Open. Come on. The U.S. Open, to a lot of people, like Phil Mickelson's never won it. That's the white whale for him. You know, he oh, blew it yeah. at Wingfoot. Yeah. And he's he, blown a couple. He wa- Yeah, he's blown a couple. Yeah. He wants that one so badly. I thought this weekend was tremendous. That's one of the best ones I've yeah, seen. Yeah. Scheffler, look, Scheffler was right in it. Couldn't make the birdie putt on 18. I just think the great golfers are going to finish – second or third or whatever. Some, you look at all of Jack Nicholas's second-place finishes. It's almost more impressive. Yeah. He has 19, I believe, second-place yeah. finishes in majors. I, I think it's almost better for Scheffler that he didn't go Spieth yeah. and go Masters, yeah, yeah, U.S. Yeah. Open, only because, I don't know, you know, you can't – no two people are alike, whatever, but I it makes me sad what's happened to Spieth. You know, yeah. come on. Yeah, yeah. Let's get there again to the winner's circle or at least near it. Brutal. I don't see enough of that. Yeah. Uh, but now I find myself pulling for Scheffler. At first, it was like, who is this guy? Yeah. Now I'm like, go Scheffler yeah. or go American somebody. Fitzpatrick, though, having won the U.S. Amateur at that course in 2013. Great story. That is awesome. I, I thought it was a great tournament this weekend. Yeah, it'd be the U.S. Open. Will Zalatoris, second place. Ooh. Twice in a row. Oh, that birdie pot. Come on. Oh. I know it's, it's not an easy one, but. Ugh, I, was talking, cool. I was talking to my dad yesterday, and I had the sound down, and we were actually both we were both watching it, which is not a good thing because we're not actually really talking to each other. We're kind of talking at each other. Mm-hmm. And the shot that Zalatoris hit early in the round, I want to say it was number seven or number eight, and that thing comes within inches yeah. of going in. And both of us just, I mean, we just <laughs> kind of roared at that point. We're like, okay, he's going to win it today. He's going to win it. And then, oh. Oh, no, too, too much ground to cover. Yeah. Look at the shot that Fitzpatrick hit out of the bunker. Yeah. That's one of the greatest shots you'll ever see in a major. I mean, ugh. I mean, that was amazing. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I thought, oh, good, he's going to blow it now because I was rooting for him to blow it. I got to say, PGA moving up. Great move. Brilliant move. Great move. Absolutely yeah. brilliant move. All right, we get back. We'll go around the NFL right here on Texas All Access. Welcome back to the final segment of this Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris. It's time to go around the NFL and have a reality check, if you will, because the place we are going is Pittsburgh. Now, I saw this and I did a double take. And I just like you know that dog you know a dog hears something weird it's that that head turned like huh I kind of had this when Pittsburgh wide receiver Chase Claypool said and I quote 
He was on the I Am Athlete podcast, which has been very popular. number of different guys on there, Channing Crowder. Um, he's the one I remember. But then you have LaShawn McCoy's been on there, Chad Johnson, Brandon Marshall, et cetera. Said Claypool, I'm going to say my second year I was a better player than in my first year. The plays just didn't work out. Some of the plays just didn't go my way. I need... I didn't make some plays I need to make, but as a football player, understanding the game, knowing what to do, knowing where to be, I was better. So I'm going to be better this year. Okay, I'll give you that. And just like you said, understanding I'm not normal. I feel that way when I'm on the field. I know for a fact I'm not like the rest of the guys in the NFL. I know I'm a top three wide receiver. Okay. Now, I know you're in your car going, wait a second, Chase Claypool, Number three wide receiver in the league. I want you to quick think of receivers right now that you know are without a doubt more valuable and better overall than Chase Claypool. I'll start. Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, C.D. Lamb. Okay, that's four already. Um, Debo Samuel, Cooper Cup, D.K. Metcalf. I've gone all there. I'll take my man Brandon Cooks. I'll take Michael Pittman Jr. Who else am I missing? Terry McLaurin from Washington. Devontae Smith. A.J. Brown. Robert Woods. Stop me when you go, wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. That guy's not better than Claypool. Look, Claypool is physically gifted. I've gone through this before, and I had this conversation. This is actually a couple years ago. I was on with a uh, doing a spot, and the radio host said, well, we know that guy's, we know that guy's great. I'm like, no, no, no. You know that guy's talented, and you know that guy's got elite physical traits, but that doesn't mean he's an elite player. And I think this is where Chase Claypool, fantastically built, a specimen if there ever was one. But a top three wide receiver? Nah, bro. I would actually take Deontay Johnson over you right now. And that might be a mouthful, but right now, can Chase Claypool turn into a poor man's DK Metcalf? Yeah. But if I got to say poor man's, and that means you're not better than that guy. So I would – I don't know where Chase Claypool is going to fall in fantasy rankings and all that kind of stuff because you know that's the most important thing. He would not be in my top 15. I can tell you that. Now, that's, there's no shame in that. You can be a top 20, top 25 receiver and make cash. That's cool. You can do that. But say you're top three wide receiver, I applaud – I applaud the chutzpah. I mean, it's just not true. It just, it just isn't. But he's going into a contract year. Uh, needs to have a big year. And so he's setting it up. He's setting up and he's playing the mind games. Hey, Steelers, you just gave Mika Fitzpatrick a lot of money. What about me? Well, we'll see. Put together a top three wide receiver year and you'll get paid, Chase Claypool. And that will do it for the show. Big thanks to Mark, to all of you for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. And as always, go Texans.